The Big Beat manifesto goes, Big Beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is contagious. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is contagious. All right. You've brought a snake. Yeah. Oh, God, he's brought a venomous plus one. Whoa, snake. Massive. What's it called? Don't know, fucking rental snake, innit? It, it is safe, isn't it, Hans? Yeah, it should be. Red next to black. Jump the fuck back, red and yellow, cuddly fella. But red is next to black. Yeah, I don't know. It's fine. He's been milked, I should think. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the El Dude Brothers podcast, episode 38, Jeremy at JLB. I'm Laura, and I own a van. My name is Sean, and I also own a van. Together, we are men with Ben. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by the newest members of our Patreon, Keelan, Claire, and the guys from WTAF. Also, Anne, we really appreciate the donation, and we thank you for your support. Yeah, thank you very much. It's amazing. Yeah. So, Laura, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. We've had some absolutely insane weather here this last week. Um, you might have heard about it. We're calling it the Beast from the East. Um, we had a really cold, I don't know what it's called, a cold stretch, a cold... So, anyway, some cold stuff came in from the East, and the whole country's been snowed in all week yeah my god listening to the way that you and my family talks my british family talks about it i assume that you guys had gotten like 12 feet of snow and no. you know we're no, we had about... worried that you might not be able to make it to the store to get groceries and shit we had about three centimeters of snow but we still couldn't make it to the shops and the shops run out bread so yeah it's been a great week here in britain how about you oh man our weather here in kansas it's like 50 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius. You'll just have to, guys, you'll just have to figure it out yourself. Pretty warm. Um, uh, I think that's about, hang on, I don't want to make a fool of myself. 50 degrees I'm just Fahrenheit gonna. Is... I'm just going to say 21 degrees Celsius. About 10 degrees. So that's, yeah, that's, that's nice. It's been like minus five oh. here, so. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Mm. Um, well, hopefully it'll warm up in the three centimeters of snow will melt and you guys can resume your normal lives. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah. So here we are, series six. I can't fucking believe it. We're here. I know. Me neither. I now think of this as like the latter days of Peep Show. So I feel like we're coming towards the end times. Yeah, we are hurtling towards the end at light speed right now and it's kind of depressing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not the show is depressing. It's depressing that we are coming to an end. <laughs> yeah, that that we're coming to the end of, of Peep Show, and I'm sure we'll find something else to talk about. I'm sure. Um, so this series kicked off on 18 September 2009. That was just a mere 18 months after season uh, series five had ended. So what were you doing in 2009, Laura? So I remember exactly what I was doing because this was. Uh, so these were the series between which I went from sort of shuffling lunatic burning my ex-boyfriend stuff in a bin to respectable member of society I'd become a qualified teacher and I just bought a house at this point with a boyfriend that I hadn't been with for very long and it was a really stupid idea to buy that house but hey we did it anyway and um, I had my postgraduate certificate of education under my belt and I was I had a job in a school I was just 24 and I was very excited about this episode of Peep Show and I remember 
that I was at a wedding reception on the night that it aired, so I couldn't watch it live, and I had it recorded on my brand new TiVo box. It was the first time I'd had a box that recorded. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Um, so I had I I was officially out of the military. Um, I was back home living with my parents. This is um, unfortunately kind of a time in my life that I'm not really wild about. Um, so basically from the time I got out of the military to mid 2009, I worked really hard to get into nursing school. Right. Um, I got into nursing school, but as you guys all are well aware of, I am not a nurse. Um, so I just will kind of leave it at that. I didn't really do too hot in nursing school, even though it was something I tried really hard for anyways. Um, probably for the best. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? It doesn't seem like much of a fun job. Eh, I guess it just depends on your personality. Um, not saying that you have a shit personality <laughs> or anything like I'm not, that. I'm not very nursey, so it definitely wouldn't be for me. But hey, things turned out all right. It sounds like you're, you're doing pretty well, so. Yeah, I mean, it just took me like uh, nine or I guess another four years to get to where I was somewhat happy. Um, my wife was still my new girlfriend. I hadn't proposed to her yet. This was probably about the time where I was starting to think like, like, hey, maybe I should propose to this one. She's kind of cool. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Anything else going on? Nope, that was pretty much it. My life was pretty much nursing school at that point, even though I was like not really happy in nursing school. Mm. So. so it sounds like we were both in pretty miserable situations as I just bought the White Elephant House, which hearing Mark will come to this, but hearing Mark talk about the white elephant sofa made me think, yes, I bought a white elephant house in the middle of a credit crunch that became a recession. Um, and yeah, and you were not happy in nursing school. So maybe this is the sad times of Peep Show as well as the end times of Peep Show. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, yeah, that, I'm glad you kind of brought up the credit crunch because that is also something that I had completely never really taken into consideration when, um, when, uh, watching this episode initially was that this episode happened like right like probably a little under a year after shit had really gone south yeah so northern rock had collapsed here it was all just going to shit and companies were falling by the wayside left right and center um loads of people were out of jobs and this is the final peep show of the new labor government um this was when gordon brown was clinging onto power by his fingernails before the coalition came in in american politics uh, President Obama was like eight months into his new job. Mm. So the halcyon days where we were all like, where some of us were happy and <laughs> some of us were worried that the end of times was coming towards America. <laughs> sort of like America right now. I was going to say like America <laughs> right now. Yeah. All right. Um, and then one last thing before we start talking about the episode is once we are done talking about the episode, I think Laura and I are going to kind of have a chat about how we're going to be handle handling the re-release of the first 10 episodes. Yep. Okay. Um, so going into the episode, did you notice a change in the introduction in the, you know, where they're like staring at the TV? Did you notice any changes there? I didn't at all. I've just read it in your notes and I'm impressed because, no, I, I've been watching this. I would, I'd hate to say how many times I've watched this episode and then the episodes that come after it and I never noticed this. Yeah, the TV has changed from their cathode, like the grey 
big cathode ray tube to like a little thin flat screen TV. So progress marches on even in Peep Show. Um, And as we see them for the first time now, um, despite the fact that the technology has changed, nothing else much has changed in their life, I would say. Hans has made it back from the, um, oh, Jesus Christ. What's the, what was the cult that he joined? Oh, what were they called? The... Fuck. Oh, I can't remember. Oh I've got God. my picture book right in front of me. I was going to say the Scientologists, but they weren't Scientologists yeah. for legal reasons. We'll just say Scientologists. We can't say they were Scientologists, but he has, he's, he's made it out of the cult anyway. Yeah, so Hans has made it out of the cult, and, uh, you know, I really enjoyed this Mark and Super Hans interaction because those two one-on-one is not really a pairing that you see very much. No, and it's it's very funny. It works really well when they're together. And we see more of that later on, uh, particularly in the final series. We see more of them alone together. And you're right, they, they work really well as a pair. Yeah, um, Hans is complaining about moving the old couch and he says it's a big bastard. And he tells Mark he's going to get the axe. Mark looks really appalled. But Hans just casually says, relax, Mark. It's just a hand axe, not a felling axe. <laughs> I made a note here that my husband has actually smashed up several sofas using this variation on this method, and it works quite well. If you need to get a sofa, rid of a sofa, and you've only got a car to do it in, you can you can smash a sofa up into surprisingly small bits with an axe or some kind of <laughs> cutting tool. No offence to Phil, but I can't see Phil taking an axe to a couch. No, he's, he's not really an axe kind of guy, but you'd be surprised at the rage that is just under the surface when he's unleashed on a sofa. <laughs> Buy my cat's fucking yogurt <laughs> smash. Exactly. Um, I also noticed here that um, David Mitchell is much thinner than the last time we saw him. Yes, I definitely noticed that too. He looks, he's a very healthy, he's a very healthy looking weight this uh, Yes, he's this definitely series. been on a diet here. I don't know if this was when he got together with his wife, maybe, but certainly something's changed. He's upped his gym time, I think. Yeah, uh, maybe Matt took him back. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um. Jeremy kind of walks into the scene and he tells Hans that he'll help him. And then he looks at Mark and he says, for a tip, maybe a fiver. And Mark is just like, uh, a fee. I suppose you only sat on that sofa for 100,000 hours and I suppose you won't sit on the new sofa much either. Yeah. Um, Jeremy's wearing, oh, he's putting on a tie. He's wearing a shirt. And I noticed this immediately because he looks quite different to how he usually looks. He's a bit formal. And initially watching this, I wondered if he was doing court or someone had died it seemed a bit strange that jeremy was in a tie yeah he wants a job um and mark tells him that he'll get him a challenging job at jlb jeremy doesn't want a challenging job he just wants something to do in the mornings instead of stare at his own winkle all day <laughs> yeah mark then tells hans that he needs to take care and bring him the new sofa in that he will be docking money off the payment if the uh, the paintwork gets chipped or the sofa is in any way damaged I love Hans' response where he just says, yeah, 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 terms and conditions apply, this energy drink may cause anal discharge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly uh, we know what uh, Super Hans has been doing at the weekends. Yeah. Um, Jeremy follows Mark into his room and he's complaining about the suit that he's wearing. He says it's sapping his vibe. Is that the Ted Baker suit that he got with Johnson's credit card? Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. It would make sense that it was because I can't see that Jeremy's going to have more than one suit. Yeah. Um, Jeremy further complains that when he wanted a job, there weren't any jobs, but now that he wants a job, there are literally no jobs. <laughs> and as we pointed out earlier, this was the first episode of Peep Show that had aired since the financial crisis. And that's just like a huge mindfuck to think about. Yes. 
Um, Superhands then walks into the scene and um, he offers Jeremy some advice. He says that they should just he should just get a van because when you've got a van, it's like you've got an MBA, but you've also got a fucking van. You're not just a man anymore. You're a man with a van. You get a van, Jez, and we could be men with men. So this is clearly Superhands' answer to the recession is to just get a van and shit shift stuff around for people that need shit shifting. Yeah, and as we see later, it's really not that bad of an idea no. because there's a bunch of businesses going out of or there's a bunch of places going out of business that need somebody to get rid of all their shit. Yep. Um, he also mentions that a box of stuff got left on board and he thought that they might like it. Jeremy asks if it's sex stuff, booze, or drug gear. Hans is just like, no, it's baby shit. And they're both like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't look at the baby super hands. It's like the sun. Yeah, yeah, you can't look directly at it. Um, and this reminds us as the audience that, yep, Sophie's pregnant, she's still pregnant, and we still don't know whose baby it is, whether it's Mark or Jeremy's. Yeah. Uh, Hans, Hans uh, calls it the Jerry Springer baby. <laughs> and that really cracked me up, too. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very true. Yeah, Jeremy just tells Hans to just slide the box under Mark's bed where it'll be safe. Yeah. Um, at this point, uh, Mark starts sort of going into his work mode and he's thinking about whether he's got his stuff and he starts repeating to himself keys change wallet phone and tapping his pockets i do this do you yeah i think this must be a bad thing because all my stuff's in a bag so i don't really need to to do that as i leave the house yeah you can just tap your purse and just go purse yeah, but exactly, yeah i yeah um, i go i don't i don't look for change but i say keys wallet phone i did think I'm actually out. while i was making my notes to this what does he need change for but Maybe the bus at this point, I guess, but I'm being picky. That's what I was thinking is the is the bus. Yeah, although I think by this point, buses have gone cashless. Like, our buses are cashless now. And I think they Maybe the vending bit. machine? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, Jeremy says to him, Jesus, you are something else. And Mark just is like, thank you very much. And Jeremy <laughs> just thinks to himself, oh my God, he took the insult as a compliment. He could become invulnerable. <laughs> Yeah, Mark then says he's going to sort out the job. He phones, he uses his mobile to phone someone at JLB who we know is called Colin. And he then starts to go into this like horrible work mark persona <laughs> where he's calling them. He's asking the, uh, the man Colin saying, Do you need another phone pig? Can I, I got you some farmyard fodder? Would you take a punt on a grunt? And he's just being appalling. Uh, I love this line. It says, uh, uh, could you do me a favor and take a punt on a grunt? Yeah, farmyard fodder, a day player, no overhead, no holidays, no contracts, cut and shut, a phone pig. Haha, ha, exactly. Cool, bro. <laughs> Basically, and... he's just doing he's doing an impression of Johnson here, isn't he? He's doing everything he's learned from Johnson to someone else. Well, he Yeah, he is management now, yeah. so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um as they so uh, the other thing that I really like in the background of the scene, you actually see Superhands with a hand axe staring at the couch. He's going to take it down. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy and Mark walk out of the flat and they start walking towards the elevator. As they do, Mark wonders, you know, if he can, like, fuck with Jeremy, have him wear a little hat like a chimpanzee. <laughs> uh, he could tell him that's a first first day tradition. Um, in the military, these kind of like hazing traditions are very common. Is there anything like that in teaching? So nothing really like for your first day, but in teaching, the thing that traditionally new teachers have to do is to do something that makes a complete fool of them on like sports day or in a staff talent show or something like that. So I've done horrible relay races in sports days when I was new. Um, 
took part in some sort of talent show where I had to do a choreographed dance, like just basically anything to make the children laugh at you. <laughs> um, in the in the military, they'll do things like they'll tell you to go get turn signal fluid or welding sparks or a long just, white, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, tartan paint. Yeah, 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 just stupid shit like that. And then they'll you know it usually involve an airman just making a goddamn asshole out of himself. Yeah, um, as they wait for the lift, they encounter for the very first time Elena. We don't know she's Elena at that point. But she is a very beautiful woman. I'm going to put my neck out and say quite the most beautiful woman of Peep Show. Um, who's, well, do you think Big Stu's is more beautiful? Oh, 100%. Oh, okay, so we can agree to disagree there. I think Elena's <laughs> the most beautiful Peep Show woman, but they're, they're probably pretty on a par with each other. She's certainly very attractive, and both men notice her. And Mark instigates a conversation with Jeremy about the boiler and Jeremy decides that he's going to put the, sow the seeds in her mind of him naked. So he says that he didn't notice if the boiler was on or not because he sleeps naked. Yeah, and uh, he sleeps naked with his head out of the window. So when I wake up, it's just me in the universe. And Mark just looks at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? Your bed is on the other side of the room. Yeah. And Jeremy just says, I've got a system. <laughs> Jeremy's just pleased with himself that he's managed to make her think of him naked. And... Mark uh, is baffled by this. Um, Jeremy thinks to himself that Mark probably hadn't even noticed her, but actually, in Mark's voiceover, he's thinking about how impressed she must be with the ergonom ergonomic management keyboard that he's got under his arm. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the at name of the actress, by the way, that plays Elena, her name is Vera Filatova. Yes, I looked her up as well to see what she was doing these days, and apparently she is an alumni of, I believe, the University of Brighton, and she lives in the on the west coast, um, on the east coast with her husband and two children now, apparently. Oh, you guys could be neighbours, and you may not even know it. I'm, I live nowhere near Brighton. Oh, Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you don't. No, I really Sorry. <laughs> there's I mean, my lack of... Uh, <laughs> I mean... There's my lack of geography It's closer to me again. than, say, Wales, but it's not, you know... <laughs> It's not very close. Uh, I looked up how far you are from Birmingham to see, you know, because I was thinking maybe you might go to the WTAF guys little thing that they're doing. Oh yeah, in I'm April. like a hundred miles from Birmingham. Yeah, you're a little far from Birmingham. I was like, oh okay. Not so close. I mean, I know like for you, hundred miles is probably nothing. Like you'd probably drive that to get a taco, but it's a that's a big <laughs> drive for us. Do <laughs> Do you think I live in the middle of nowhere? No, but Americans like famously drive long distances for things don't they uh sure oh do not okay i thought that was a thing i thought americans just undertook large journeys and didn't think anything of it and thought that we were wimps because we don't i drove four and a half hours to go watch a local wrestling show so i mean i guess it's not out of the yeah exactly see that's quite that's quite a long way i, I couldn't drive four and a half half miles i would fall off the edge of the country <laughs> I guess that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all relative when your country's like the size of, I don't know, California. Stamp. Probably, yeah. It's probably smaller than California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I bet it is. I, I think London is is like, I think I read somewhere once that whole, the whole of Greater London is the size of one man in Texas's farm. Like, it's the scale is, you can't get your okay, head around uh, it. Wow, boy, it's amazing what you can find when you Google how big is the United Kingdoms compared to texas and the bottom would go from houston and the northern tip would go towards 
Oh, Kansas. So, I mean, it's like, that's not bad. I mean, but anyways. It's small. We live in a small country. That's, uh. Yeah. Yes, apparently you do. It's, and that is, and you know what? And that is like, <laughs> that's like crazy to me. It, that's really crazy to me. So. It's crazy to us how big your country is, but I still don't live anywhere near Brighton, so I'm not going to bump into <laughs> yeah. it later. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah, so then we get to JLB credit, and Mark just shows Jeremy his new desk, and Jeremy is, like, super impressed with his desk. Yeah, he's really excited about the desk in the same way that he was in Series 2 when Tony introduced him to his little cubicle when he worked for Tony for a day. So clearly, uh, Jeremy's easily impressed by work stations, but he's loving the desk, he can't believe it's all his, and he's really excited by the tippy chair. Yeah, he's like, whoa, tippy chair. <laughs> Mark starts to explain Jeremy's new job to him and tells him that he's got a script that he's going to be cold calling. Um, and he's Jeremy's thrilled with this idea. He's like, Oh, I've got a script, I'm going to be like an actor. And Mark is sarcastically, you know, agrees. Yeah, with him. uh, Jeremy thinks that he might be like Al Pacino or a Jeremy Irons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, Mark then tells him that he's going to start each call by telling the person that he's ringing that he's that they've been selected for a, a ex- exclusive introductory interest rate. And Jeremy's confused by this because he's like, well, if it's everyone, it's not exclusive. And then, well, hey, Jeremy realises how the financial sector works and his eyes are open to the trickery of JLB and of all the financial institutions. I love this. He's just like, oh my God, it's wheels within <laughs> wheels. I've been invited inside with the bean <laughs> counters and the water borders. <laughs> yeah, and Mark thinks they better not find out what they put in sausages because that will really upset him. But Jeremy must know what is already in sausages because twice now he's told women that Mark writes horrible things about them, <laughs> wraps it up in sausage That's meat, true. and then calls them sausage munchers. Good. Yeah, good point. Maybe a better uh, thing would have been what they put in chicken nuggets or something like that. <laughs> yeah um mark heads over to his new office and he swaps out his old like jlb basic keyboard for his big fucking ergonomic keyboard yeah he's very excited by this he's, he calls it like the death star yeah. or something doesn't he and um as he's swapping it out he sees dobby through the window of his office and she gives him a little wave and he's just like i might invite dobby in later tell her i'm having server problems Maybe she needs a fiddle, but the problem is in my pants. And I'm just like, <laughs> fuck off, Mark, you skeezy son of a bitch. Yeah, he's being a bit of a perv at this point. Luckily, his thoughts on perving over Dobby are interrupted by seeing Jeff, who he calls out to, um, and then begins to lord it over. Yeah, I love this where he's like, oh, Jeff, Jeff, come here, come here for a minute. And Jeff is just like, no, I'm, I, I don't have time, mate. And Mark's just like, oh, you can't be too busy to check in with your boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, Mark starts making the point that he is on Jeff's remuneration committee and therefore he's got some influence over what kind of bonus Jeff gets. Although I'm guessing he doesn't have much influence over what bonus Jeff gets. Yeah, I like this where he says he wonders if it would be better to give Jeff a zero pound bonus or one that was like 103 pounds. It doesn't matter. Both are very funny. <laughs> Yeah, a humiliating amount. I gotta tell you, though, if I had the choice between $0 or $103, I'm going with 103 every time. That's true, yeah. I mean, I, there's no there's no room for bonuses in teaching. Like, that's not a thing. So if someone offered me a £103 bonus, I'd take it. I wouldn't be too proud for that. I'm getting my bonus from my job at the end of April, and I was quite happy with it, so... 
Um, Especially when they bought everyone fidget spinners yeah. at the beginning of the last financial year. Christ, you and your fucking laser memory. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And that always, whenever I think of where you work, I just think, oh yeah, it's the insurance firm that has fidget spinners. Like That really tickled me for some reason. I don't ever remember even telling you about that. <laughs> <laughs> you were so excited when you got that fidget spinner that you had to tell me that oh uh, yeah oh yes i do remember that now christ that was like that must have been one of the first episodes we ever did together it was it was back in the summer yeah yeah because let me think that was probably july i think that was july when we got the fidget spinners anyways yeah the fidget spinner craze was a while ago now at this point after this bonus discussion uh jeremy walks in and he and, you know, I was super confused because I was like, how much time has fucking passed since Mark left Jeremy alone? Yeah, we find out that it's about two and a half hours, but I agree with you that that's not clear. It seems like it's ten minutes. Yeah, it looks like about, yeah, like you said, it looks like it's about uh, 10, 15 minutes tops. Mark tells Jeremy that he's got to stay at least until five or he's going to make Mark look bad. And Jeremy just talks about how he is just fucking killing it. Yeah, he says he has made four sales already, and he's at the top of the leaderboard. He's in line for Pizza Hut vouchers. And Mark is just like, Jesus, the he's already in line for free garlic bread? <laughs> <laughs> at this point, the fire alarm starts going off, um, and Mark is alarmed by it, as you would be, with the fire alarm going off. But Jez isn't so sure that it's it's real, and he's sort of taking the piss a little bit until another colleague... Um, confirms that it's not a test and suddenly jeremy is very keen to get out of the building i love one of jeremy's little lines here where he's just like oh please don't burn me or my possessions i'm so important <laughs> and flammable <laughs> yeah but then when he gets uh when he realizes that it's real he's like oh hurry up he's it's like, all gone backdraft he's like hurry up hurry up we gotta get out of here it's all gone backdraft <laughs> Uh, I've written in my notes that unexpected fire alarms are just the worst part of teaching because they always happen because a kid has set it off for a prank or because a chemistry experiment's got a bit smoky. So it's never, I've never actually seen a genuine reason for a fire alarm, but there are a lot of them in schools. At the company that I work for, the rule is if the fire alarm or if any sort of like severe weather or because I live in a place where there's a lot of tornadoes, so if there's any, like, severe weather or fire alarms, we're basically just supposed to tell the person on the phone, like, hey, I have to go and just hang up on them and then just get the fuck out. Because if you, you know, you're like, oh, hey, I have to get going because there's a tornado, people are going to be like, oh, my God, there's a fucking tornado? Like, ah. Oh. Um, <laughs> Want to talk about the tornado? Yeah, panic. But uh, there was one time where we did have, a uh, like, a little small electrical fire in our building and they evacuated us. And one of my colleagues was like, I have to go. And the guy was like, yeah, well, you can't. We're in the middle of filing my claim. The guy's like, no, I fucking have to go. And this dude was just like being such a dickhead about getting off the phone. And finally, my coworker just hung up on him. As you should. Yeah. The worst one I ever experienced, because we're told not to take anything with us because it impedes the children. So if they see us taking anything with us, they'll stop to take their stuff. So we're meant to just get out straight away with the kids. And um, the worst one I ever experienced was in a very cold November when an ex-student phoned in a bomb threat and we had to stand outside on the field for like six hours until the London Fire Brigade gave us a clearance to move with no coats and children weeping. So ever since then, as soon as I hear a fire alarm, I'm like, for fuck's sake, not today, Satan. I don't want to spend six hours on that field. So I always take my coat with me now. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, coat and a mobile phone. Yep, coat and a phone. Um. <laughs> yeah. 
punt on a grunt. Um, <laughs> so this next scene that we have is probably one of the more famous scenes of the show, I would think. Right? Yeah, yeah. This is a, an iconic moment, I yeah. would say. Uh, Mark is talking to Dobby and he's asking her what's going on like Dobby would fucking know. Um, Dobby says the huddle of third floor Daleks thinks it's a test, but the phone pigs think it was a fire in the farmyard kitchen. I like that in the background of this entire scene, you see Jeremy just like leaning against the building, all like cool, just talking to people. <laughs> yeah, like he's always worked there. Um, Jeff then makes the point that Mark's management, so he should probably be able to sort it out. And Mark obviously has no insider knowledge, but doesn't want that to seem like the case. So he starts saying chance would be a fine thing to something everyone says which as you say is a very iconic line and he just repeats it over and over again to the point that he just looks like an absolute mug yeah i like this uh gerard says to lisa uh the reset code needs to be authorized from frankfurt if you can believe it and lisa's just like oh mark your management you should be able to reset it and mark just like chance would be a fine thing <laughs> jeff tells mark to go do a coffee run and get 200 lattes and mark's just like good one jeff chance would be a fine thing fine thing indeed and then he's like stop stop saying that stop jesus christ stop saying that yeah he attempts to take control then by saying they'll have everything sorted quick or soon quick as and he sort of starts repeating that and it's just cringy but luckily at that moment johnson marches out of somewhere out of a car we assume into the car park and he, in a moment of brilliant physical comedy, he gets like a plastic bread crate from somewhere in the car park and stands on it and it makes him about three inches taller than he was previously. It's not much of a podium. <laughs> yeah, I really like this. And then he says, I want to warn you that you're probably going to be hearing a lot of rumors, but I can assure you, reassure you that Stefan Strauss and the rest of the Frankfurt team are doing <laughs> everything they can. Talks are ongoing and everything looks promising. But I need to inform you, you're all officially unemployed. The doors are locked. JLB Credit UK is no longer existent. Thank you and good night, England. And Mark is just like, but what about management? And chases after Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as you'd expect of Mark, he's an absolute weasel running after Johnson. And Johnson doesn't even so much as slow up. He gets into the car and he's driven away. Yep, and it's the last Beamer out of Saigon. <laughs> so after some technical issues, Jeremy just walks over to Mark and says, Wow, so everything's gone, just tits up? I mean, how mad is that? Head fuck or what? Yeah, um, Mark looks really upset, and then Jez says that he's just been talking to some people, and they've decided that they might go down the crown, and Mark doesn't know what he's talking about, and Jeremy explains that it's a pub they go to on a Friday, and Mark is, in his voiceover, he's sad because he realizes that after just a morning's worth of work, Jeremy fits in better than he does. I was so irritated. Well, I shouldn't say irritated, but you know how I always like to just look up the businesses, see what the status of the business is? Yeah, yeah. I could not find shit about this place, Laura. The crown isn't real. That is, it's, it's not a real pub. But even if it's not a real pub, like, at least that exterior shot, I should be able to, like where that exterior shot is from that's true it is a you're right and normally the so like in um wedding in season two when they go to the pub it's a real pub isn't it you're right actually that's a good point yeah and i couldn't find anything about this goddamn pub so if anybody knows anything about this pub if it's still in business if it has a new name if it's been torn down and turned into freaking apartments or whatever please just let us know yeah we'd love to know 
Um, so we're inside the Crown Pub, and Mark is looking at Dobby, who's getting a drink from the bar, and she and he just thinks, gone, all the lovely power. Might as well delete my spreadsheet of her coffee break times. Super creepy. Yeah, super creepy. Um, Jez walks over with a pint and says, oh, I can't believe this. They've really screwed us. And he's, you know, trying to sort of sort of fake up some, I don't know, like almost like he's trying to fake up some sadness for the drama. And Mark is really annoyed by this. He says, look, like, I've been screwed. You at most have been dissolved. <laughs> and <laughs> Jeremy is sort of... Yeah, he's kind of, mm, he looks a bit upset by this because he clearly wants to be part of the JLB drama. Yeah, and he says, I can't believe it's all just gone poof. And he makes this little, like, <laughs> magician, like, hand smoke motion. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, whilst they're talking about this, they both notice Sophie standing at the bar. Um, this is the first time we see Olivia Coleman in this series, and she has got a new pixie cut haircut, which looks very nice on her, I think. Um, and they notice that she's at the bar purchasing some drinks and are concerned for the baby as Jez puts it for our baby <laughs> yes I like how he refers to it as our baby um, yeah they both kind of want to go up to the bar and confront her about this but they're neither one of them individually has the courage to do it no understandably um I was thinking back to when I first watched this and obviously I didn't know who the father of the baby was and I just wondered what you thought watching it for the first time was did you think they would be Mark's or did you think that they might make it Jeremy's for the comedy effect? Oh, I felt pretty confident that the baby was Mark's. Yeah, I, I always thought it was but I did. there was a little bit of me that thought maybe they might make it be Jeremy's just for the humour of the situation. No, I agree that that would have been really, really damn funny but yeah, I, I was pretty <laughs> confident that it was Mark's baby. Yeah. Um, Dobby appears at this point and she says that she's just been talking to some people and they, she has heard a rumour that actually the UK branch of JLB Credit is in profit and it's just the German outfit that's tanking. Yeah, yeah. she says uh, the Frankfurt office was the one that was tanking. UK office is doing just great. They're closing up the UK branch to save the mothership. Yeah, um, and Mark says, do you think that's true? And she says that maybe or it might just be one of those rumours that happens after disasters like... Did you know no one with an Apple Mac died on 9-11? <laughs> I just wondered, do you like conspiracy theories? Is this something you're into? So if you asked the Sean of 2004-2005, I would have been like, fuck yeah, I love conspiracy theories. Um, especially 9-11 conspiracy theories, which I now um, can say I don't believe in. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I used to be a fairly big conspiracy theory guy. It's it's kind of funny that when the president of an opposing party is in office, you're much more prone to conspiracy theories. But when the president matches your political party, you just sort of debunk all those conspiracy theories as bullshit. Yeah, I get that. I, I like reading about conspiracy theories, but I don't think there are many that I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely believe in that. Like, I like to hear mad conspiracy theories that some people might think are real, but I don't actually believe in any particularly. When I was in um, high school, my uh, one of the teachers at my high school is recognized as the number one authority on the Kennedy, uh, the pre the President Kennedy assassination theories. All right, yeah, yeah. And he took a bunch of us to um, Dallas, and he did this like two day trip, two or three day trip down there, where we went to like Daly Plaza. We got to see. We went to the Texas Book Depository. The 
we did the same walk that Oswald took from his house to the movie theater where he was eventually captured. We got to see the parking garage where he was assassinated. I mean, it was it was crazy. And I was like pretty sure that the Kennedy thing is a conspiracy. But that's the only conspiracy that I actually believe in. See, I think when one's explained to me really well like that, it's like my husband makes fun of me because he'll say, oh, you'll believe anything if like I'll watch a documentary on something and I'll be like, yes, that's definitely true. So like, <laughs> I, watched that hunt, I watched that hunt in Hitler thing on the Discovery Channel and I was like, yeah, Hitler was living in Argentina in a palatial mansion and this definitely happened and it was like for two weeks I really believed this but then as soon as I'm not immersed in the thing anymore, I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> So Jeremy and Mark actually kind of get some courage up and they go up to Sophie at the bar and they kind of go, hey, uh, you know, wine, baby. And Sophie's just like, what? It's just one small glass of wine. And Mark's like, we both know that's not true. And then Lisa comes over and grabs the big bottle of wine. And then Sophie just kind of looks at him and says, one small spritzer, half a unit. Should I have gotten written permission? And Mark just says, nope. Nope, uh, you have put me in my place. And then yeah, he's 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 genuinely sort of mortified by this, and they they the conversation ends there. Yep. And then Mark thinks he's you know looking at Dobby, and he thinks to himself, "Oh, we can't we can't break up this team. It would be a shame if I can't." And in his head, he thinks it'd be a shame if I can't get to see you anymore. And Jeremy just says that JLB was too beautiful of a thing to go poof, and he does the little yeah. like poof thing again with Handing. his hand. And Mark then says that they should form some sort of committee to fight back what's happened. Next scene, we are back at Apollo House, and Mark kind of continues this idea of the JLB Survivors Campaign Group. And Mark says, you know, I'll chair it. Or be the president. I don't know. Chair, president, <laughs> I don't really care. Yeah, um, he's full of ideas for this group, including doing some sort of comedy night and doing a little skit. Um, Jez is less... Uh, less enthusiastic about this than he is or certainly thinks that Mark isn't really the guy to be doing some sort of comedy skit but he sees through it immediately anyway and says that he knows this is a, a, an excuse for Mark to get close to Dobby yeah get a hand job in the dressing room <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, Hans appears and Jez explains them what's happened and Hans is really excited now because obviously he's a man with a van and he's excited about being able to carve up the JLB corpse yeah uh, Jeremy just says it was a weird day for the JLBers and it's all gone poof and Mark is like <laughs> I'm gonna need you to stop doing that and he also calls Jeremy a grief thief here yeah which is a great line <laughs> yeah um, I felt like a I've sometimes in my life i felt like that i've been a grief thief but i try not yeah, to I do think it we've all, we've all been we've all been guilty of being a grief thief i think particularly when you're younger um and that's definitely what jeremy's doing here like he's got so little going on in his own life that he's definitely looking for the, the drama to to sort of get he wants something to get outraged about doesn't he yeah um jeremy says that he was really finding his niche or his niche and mark tells him that you can't find a niche between 9 a.m and 11 30 um <laughs> Jeremy then it just starts kind of yelling at him about like, oh, who are you to determine how long it takes you to find a niche? And then Superhands just walks out and he he's like, oi, 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 buy it and drabble. Yes, um, you asked me to explain this. <laughs> so I've tried to write it down so it's succinct. Um, so it's a little English literature joke for you. And who better to explain that than an English teacher? Um, so 
A.S. Byer and Margaret Drebbel are two famous English writers who are also sisters, and they are locked in a decades-long feud, famously. The sisters are both literary heavyweights. Byer won the, won the Booker Prize in 1986, and Drabble is the or was the editor of the Oxford Companion to English Literature, which is a massive book feared by all English literature undergrads because it like weighs as much as a two-year-old. <laughs> it's thousands of pages long. Um, so they're both like really heavyweight in the world of English literature. Um, they're both in their like late seventies, early eighties now, and they still don't talk to each other. And whenever they give interviews, the interviewer will ask, and they'll say, "Oh, I don't talk about my sister." But it's a it's gone on for like forty years now. This this feud between them. So the whole feud is just basically because they're both authors. Yeah, essentially, like whenever anyone asks them about it and if, if they've ever elaborated, it seems to be based on the fact that they they were really close in age. I think there's only about eighteen months between them, and they both were in competition they both went to cambridge to study english lit like one year apart and they were both bitter rivals at school and at university and it went on from there that is so fucked to me that it's really weird isn't it yeah that is so fucked to me <laughs> mm. but they aren't talking i don't think they're about to start anytime soon um yeah wow that's really crazy i was not really expecting that no i love this joke obviously because i understand it but i love it too for the questions it poses about hands and his interior life <laughs> i've always suspected that there was more to super hands than met the eye and clearly when he's not uh taking drugs or being a man with a van he's reading heavyweight English literature. <laughs> <laughs> um so he then kind of leads mark and jeremy into the living room to see the couch and mark is just like oh my God, it's beautiful. But then he's really concerned about the repayments. He wonders who the prime minister will be. And he says that the depression is here and it came with a white elephant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremy refers to it as the creamy elephant, which Mark quickly shuts down and asks him not to do. Um, and then Hans says that he's got some more van stuff to do, but he needs two guys who want to make a bit of cash in hand to help him out. Yeah, he just needs a guy. He needs a guy who needs a bit of cash, and who has arms and legs, and might be able to just jump in the van and earn a few quid. And Mark just is, and Jeremy's just like, "Where would we find a guy like that?" And Mark just leans over and he just goes, <coughs> <laughs> "Yeah, he clearly coughs and makes it clear that he would like to be one of the men with men." Yeah. So next scene, I really love this next scene. So I'm just going to insert this scene here. How did this happen? I woke up Branson, end the day, humping shit, cash in hand for super hands. Uh, where do I go? You're riding bitch. On the bitch rack. God, Hans is my boss. Jeremy's probably my line manager. Sorry for the delay. <coughs> While I was waiting for the food, I actually sketched out a potential invite for the JLB Survivors fundraiser. This is just a satirical sideswipe at the corporate culture. Star Wars. If you stroke my down, I shall become more purple than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. Isn't down for a duck, not a cat? Yes, but it's got to be cat because of purple. Does it? Yes. But if you stroke my down. Yes. I mean, it's definitely got to be a duck. You're overanalyzing. But people will be laughing so hard, they won't be thinking about what it does or doesn't mean, Jeremy. Where's my fucking nugget? I've dropped about six social classes since this morning. Where's my onion rings? This is, this, this is, this is... You fucked this order right up, haven't you? Hey? Haven't you? Hey? Answer me! 
Yes. Right. I'm having your chicken wrap. Cheers. You can have your chips. You can have this little bit of matter. Oh, for once in my life, I've done enough physical labour to merit a high-carb meal, and all I'm left with is an indeterminate puck of gristle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I fucking love the shift in the power dynamic in the scene where Mark's much larger JLB manager hat just doesn't even exist anymore. No, he's, he's, that's gone. It's burnt to a crisp. <laughs> and he is now just a shit muncher with the rest of them. And I love as well when he says that Jeremy's probably his line manager, which is, is like a great way to think. <laughs> I also really enjoy here how um, David Mitchell is wearing the clothes he's wearing. He's wearing the most awful tracksuit bottoms. And it's you only see it really briefly. But I'd like to know more about where Mark got those tracksuit bottoms. Where did, who do they belong to? Because I don't think Jez would wear them either. And surely he doesn't own these tracksuit bottoms, but he looks brilliant. Yeah. Um, I noticed in here you said that there was a Star Wars joke. I do not remember a Star Wars joke at oh, all. Oh, no, not here. That's later on. Um, that's in the next scene. Oh, no, 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 it is here. No, you're right. No, he says something about... Is it not a Star Wars joke when he's talking about the cartoon... And he says something about the... Is that not a Star No, it's not a Star Wars joke, is it? They're talking about the down. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, let's start this over again so I can actually pretend I know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's a Star Wars joke here that... There is you... a Star Wars joke, thank you! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Go on, say it again. Yeah, there's a Star Wars joke here. Uh, yes, thank you for reminding me, Laura with your wonderful <laughs> notes. Um, uh, there's a line from Star Wars where uh, while facing off against Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi says, if you strike me down, you will only make me more powerful. And so that's uh, okay. That's what the joke is. If you stroke my down, you'll make me more purple. Ah, uh, that makes sense. See, I've, it's been nearly 10 years and I didn't understand that. So thank you for clearing that up for me. Yeah. I I just kind of put that in a file in my head under boys stuff I don't need to know about. Yeah, I couldn't. I was like, Star Wars joke? The fuck is she talking about? And then I was like, oh, yes, yes, there is a Star Wars joke there. I'm so glad we've got each other. I've under, I've uh, explained A.S. Byatt and Margaret Drabble for you and you've explained Star Wars for me. <laughs> uh, I have been corrected, actually. The line is, um, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine but oh okay i've heard that i have heard people say that so that makes sense it's, you've just opened a whole new cultural door for me so i can understand what people are talking about have you ever watched a star wars movie like any of them no no not at all no i know that i know that darth vader is his dad that's all i know oh my oh my god <laughs> i'm just i yeah i just it's i, I it, has no interest for me i don't think i could i don't think i could even sit through it like i think i would fall asleep well i mean hey if you don't like sci-fi you know it that's fine like you don't have to like sci-fi you can just be wrong yeah exactly I mean, my mind my mind wanders during like children's films. so my husband will say oh how can you like i've watched frozen about 40 times before i really understood what was going on and my husband will say oh how could you not know what was going on with frozen it's like well i don't know i wasn't paying attention and i just know my mind would wander in something like that uh yeah uh that's really funny to me that, that i like uh grew up on that movie yeah but phil's dad really loves it he's mad about it and he can't believe that i've never seen it and he's always threatening to show it to the girls but 
I think he's misjudged his audience a little bit if he thinks that they're going to be into him at the moment. <laughs> um, so we head back to the Crown Pub for the first and, spoiler, only meeting of the JLB Survivors group. Um, Mark and Sophie are kind of handing out name tags. Jeremy comes over and announces that he's been doing vodka shots with the phone pigs and it's nice to see everyone again. Um, Mark says that, yes, Jeremy, I invited everybody, even Stefan Strauss. But Mark thinks that Strauss won't show after his savage political cartoon. Uh, yes, Mark then sees, tries to kind of talk to Sophie about the joke and tries to generally, you know, get her feelings on the subject, but she kind of blows him off and hasn't really got any time for him. I like this where she's like, oh yeah, it was kind of a a joke. And he's just like, yeah, I don't want to squeeze too much uh, juice out of that shriveled up rock. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen you've written in your notes that you asked if I like her hair, which I mentioned pr in the previous scene that she was in. I really like her hair here. I think she looks really nice with short hair. Oh man, I love short hair on women, so I think this really cut is her. super yeah. flattering on her. Yeah, she looks really lovely. Yep, uh, Dobby walks over and Mark makes small talk with Dobby. Um, he asks if she sh he asks if he should call the home office avaricious profit cannibals or mendacious bonus junkies and dobby just is like whatever the, you're the boss you decide yeah and he loves that he's very happy to be called the boss by dobby again and dobby then says that she's just going to go and check on skunky pete to make sure he knows how to work the the volume on mark says that they should crank it up to 11 and then explains to jeremy that it's a spinal tap joke to which jeremy looks very proud and says i know <laughs> Man, I love Skunky Pete so much. <laughs> I wish I wish we saw Skunky Pete. I guess he's on the, the list. I suppose we do see him dancing with Dobby, don't we? And um, back on Mark's birthday, but we never really see him properly. So it's yeah. a shame. I think he would have been an interesting guy to, to bring out. I think him and Jeremy would have been friends just smoking yeah. weed all the time. Exactly. Yeah, they've got a lot in common. Yeah, uh, maybe Skunky Pete is some sort of music producer or like something like that. I don't know. He could have been their sound guy. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is techie because why else would would Dobby know him and no one else does? So he could have been their tech guy. Yeah, and as we see in this next scene, which is we're still at the Crown Pub just a little bit later, um, Dobby has finished playing the guitar. Yes, of course she plays the guitar. Intolerable. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to be a good song, though, because everybody from GLB seems to be applauding her. Yeah, they're, they're all clapping. I don't actually know much about Izzy Suti's stuff that she does on her own that's not scripted, like when she does stand-up. She, does she play the guitar in that? Is that part of her act? I have no idea. No, no. I, I get the feeling it might be. She seems like she might play the guitar. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I The only Izzy Suti thing I've ever watched is Peep Show. Ah, okay. I've seen her in a couple of things, but they're, like they're always scripted by someone else it's not just her so it'd be interesting to know if she does play the guitar um mark is like peering through the curtain at this point and he says now he knows how frost felt before the the first that was our week jeremy's just like you're gonna be great man and mark is like oh, i'm having a bit of mini wobble on the mustache <laughs> yes um jeremy then pulls out a permanent marker and says look you know it's funny you've got to have the moustache and mark says that he really doesn't want to seem like he's trying to associate jlb with the nazis it's just that maybe they've got similar ideas about power structures from the top down <laughs> and and jeremy's just like no come on let's do this and draws the uh, and and mark says hit the me jez and he draws the hit the moustache on him 
Yeah. Um, I really like how he's just like, Hitler me, Jess. <laughs> and Jeremy reassures Mark that Hitler is funny. Yes, Hitler's, of course Hitler's funny. Hitler's hilarious. Um, so then we see like a little bit of their skit and Mark is wearing like kind of a mad scientist jacket with a name tag that says Stefan Strauss. And he's like, the jacket has like, blood quote-unquote spatters all over it and he's yeah, it's like, like a lab coat isn't it yeah it's like a lab coat and he says something like oh you know we've been um so what have we here an ailing patient but one who's delivered consistent profits except for 2003 what on earth happened here and davi just says <laughs> barbara spunked a grand on the christmas due and everybody laughs, and I thought it was great that we got a little shout-out for Barbara the Racist. Yeah, Barbara the Racist has been mentioned, so not only is she racist, but she's also terrible at managing money as well. Apparently so. Yeah, and um, um, Mark's doing a little German accent in this as well that's really cringy. Yeah, and uh, Mark wishes he had kept the Barbara line since Dobby doesn't even know who Barbara is. Yes, as it got such a big laugh. Yeah. Um, next we see Dobby and Mark backstage, and Mark is thinking, like, I'm drinking champagne, I've written and directed a hit play, it's the Bohemian Dream. Yes, he's he's acting like he's um to lose the trek at the Moulin Rouge at this point. And Jeremy and Gerard pop their heads backstage to to give their congratulations and Jeremy says that everyone liked it so much, some of the guys were saying it could be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I really like here how Mark tries to be uh all um like Koi, where he's like, oh, God, what a ridiculous idea. That on TV? No. Not without a lot of editing. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we find out that Stefan Strauss did come to the, the get-together because he appears and, and Mark looks just mortified. Yeah. Um, Mark still has his Hitler mustache and um, <laughs> we see Stefan Strauss. He's played by an actor named Robert... Cambrinus, and it looks like that most of his work was a lot of background work and he hasn't acted in anything since 2015 so who knows if he's even still an actor but um, that's a shame because he's, he's great at Stefan Strauss and plays it with great understatement yes which is exactly how I think this character should be played yes um Stefan says that they wanted to come by and discuss the bonus and salary issues but he's obviously uncomfortable because of the moustache and yeah. Mark tries to wipe it off, but it's Sharpie, so it's not going anywhere. And he is just, it's, it's classic Mark. He's tripping over himself to try and reassure him that he's not a racist. He says, when I think of uh, Germany, I think of Thomas Mann and Boris Becker. Um, I think of Goethe, but, you know, I can't do a Goethe moustache. And Strauss is equally embarrassed. Yeah, I like how he asks, I like how Mark asks Strauss, did Gerter have a mustache out of curiosity? And, and Strauss is just like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think so. And um, Mark starts to kind of talk about Gerter with Strauss and Strauss is just like, uh, sure. <laughs> um, then um, we cut to later still, or just after this in a back room, they're moving on. And Johnson and Strauss are taking Mark through. He's in his normal clothes now, but he's still got the moustache. <laughs> and Johnson tells Mark that Strauss just isn't happy about the JLB survivors group because he doesn't look good for the company. Yeah. Um, Johnson tells Mark that if the campaign quiets down, there might be some resources for redundancy. And Mark is just like, oh my God, JLB is going to pay us what we want. And Johnson says, 
they'll pay you what you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, Strauss pulls out a check at this point and Mark gets a look at it and it's for 15 grand and Mark is, in typical Mark fashion, bowled over by this and starts thinking immediately of all the things he could do that he thinks about paying off the city, how he could buy the matching chair and he's just immediately throwing all of his principles away that he only had in the first place because he wanted to get off with Dobby. What did you call the couch? Oh, a settee sofa city city i think is a very i don't actually know where city comes from i think it's a very working class way of referring to a sofa i apologize oh no no don't apologize <laughs> i just i thought you said city and so no. i've been sitting over here trying to figure out what the fuck you had actually said <laughs> hang on i'm gonna google city and see what the how where it comes from colloquially city uh it says a british it says British colloquialism for a couch, typically with a back and arms. Uh, no, I think it is just, it's considered to just be a British. There you go, I'm just super British. <laughs> yeah, that's what we always called it in my family. Um, <laughs> Johnson tells Mark that he told Strauss that Mark might not have the asshole for this. And he says, the question is, can you put a lid on the squid? And Mark just kind of is looking at Johnson like, I can try. <laughs> yeah. So now we get Mark's attempt to try to put the lid on the squid. Yeah, um, it doesn't go great. No. Dobby introduces Mark to the crowd who is met with enthusiastic applause. And Gerard shouts out, speak for England, Arthur. And Mark just is like, uh, must have Googled that. Jeremy then just shouts out, hail Mark, and does like the little Hitler salute. <laughs> yeah, which pretty sure that's not cool anymore can't do that um nope. maybe if um oh what was his mate's name in series two maybe if he oh daryl maybe if daryl was back <laughs> oh it my god been fine. <laughs> fuck oh my god they missed the perfect opportunity to bring daryl back um once jeremy shouted out how mark mark starts to make a speech and the speech is basically him immediately saying We've had a good time, but we're not going to get what we want, so we've just got to accept it. Yep. Yep. Uh, JLB is a big multinational, and it served us all a great big shit sandwich. But what we've got to do is just eat it down. <laughs> Let's go <laughs> yeah. forward, conserve our energy, let bygones be bygones. And then he like points at Skunky Pete, and he says, turn the music up and have a great time. Over to you, Mr. DJ. <laughs> People are, as you'd imagine, less than thrilled by this, and he doesn't really get a round of applause. Um, but Mark just decides he's going to keep his head down and not answer any questions. So he runs, like, like goes over to the buffet and just thinks, if I put enough salami in my face, no one can ask me any difficult <laughs> questions. Yeah, Davi just was like, what the hell was that all about? And um, uh, Well, actually, I guess it's even more than Davi. It's uh, Jeremy, Davi, Lisa. Lisa, and... yeah, Lisa's involved in this. Yeah. And, uh... um, and they all start asking, you know, when are we going to get our money? Mark, at this point, loses his temper a little bit with Jeremy and says, look, I, I don't want to talk about your money anymore. I'll give you your money. It's £14.50. <laughs> and hands him the money. And he says, are you happy now? And Jeremy's like, well, yeah, <laughs> a bit. Yeah. Davi just asks if uh, Strauss and Johnson nobbled him in the back room. And Mark is like, no, no, I really kicked off. I really wanted to hurt those bastards. And Jeremy just says, there's a words and speeches and ideas never change anything. And he then he just shouts out, who's up for a raiding party? Yeah, um, and then thinks that it would be fine because the doors will definitely be locked. So there's no, there's, there's no worries about going to JLB. 
unfortunately we cut to the next <laughs> scene where the doors are not locked yeah i love who i love all the people that are in this raiding party we've got gerard we've got jeremy lisa dobby um and then just like a random black guy and Je- jeff's there as well as name. oh yeah and jeff excuse me yeah, yeah actually jesus i haven't people- written I have it written down in front of me. Mark, Dobby, Jez, Gerard, Jeff, and random black person. Yeah, it's, it's a group of people that would never be friends, but clearly a group of people that were either drunk enough or angry enough to think they were going to go fuck up JLB. Uh, they bump into Superhands, who's cleaning out the building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he tries to stop them from getting in, and they ask how he got in, and he's like, I've got keys. And um, Mark then says in his voiceover he wonders whether they're the spartans or the persians but he's like fuck it i'll figure it out later it doesn't matter whether we're the good guys or the bad guys and quickly becomes clear to him that it's got out of his control yeah he says that this is a nuclear reaction gone awry and he's just trying to be the cooling rod he just grabs his keyboard out of his office and he's like i've got the keyboard let's go let's go but jeremy has at this point taken off his shirt and is just going fucking ham just destroying shit it's incredible i love it this is like pure jeremy who would just he join in any kind of riot like i always imagined that jeremy would have been would have been great in like the london riots or anything he would have definitely got involved (laughs) in something like that he just would have started looting immediately and they're just kind of mindlessly like like not even real damage they're like chucking paper about and you know pushing over the photocopier and it's 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 just silly stuff it's not even really real criminal damage dobby calls out to mark and he looks at her and she's got like a fire extinguisher between her legs and mark just thinks to himself oh god she's got a cock must get a cock of my own (laughs) yeah Um, and then they start spraying each other with foam fire extinguishers which to be fair looks like a lot of fun and i I love this when when uh when he's like phone home don't foam alone (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and as they do that just like mad shit's going on in the background with with uh with jeremy with his top off and uh i think we see gerard at one point like getting a ream of paper and just throwing it in the air and it's all chaos yeah gerard like is at somebody's desk and he just takes this monitor and he just smashes it (laughs) but in the middle of all this chaos um johnson and strauss appear at the door and it's clear that they've been there the whole time and seen it all right after they chuck a a fucking photocopier down a flight of stairs (laughs) yeah um johnson asks mark what's going on in it and uh and mark you know wanting to impress dobby clearly says in a really kind of ballsy way we're fucking everything up and the fact that you're probably insured for all of this doesn't make a blind bit of difference to us and it kind of just hangs there in the air for a minute and strauss just reaches into mark's pocket takes the check and walks away yep and uh as that's happening, Mark just says, yeah, so suck it up, you douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> but all the while he's thinking about the loss of his £15,000. Yep, and then he's like, there goes the Nazi gold <laughs> back into the vault with all the Rembrandts. <laughs> and then we get flagpole Sitter and episode is over. Yes, and that's the end of the episode. So, I will be honest with you, Laura, I fucking really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, so did I. I after saying last week that I was... Oh no, series six, I don't remember it being very good. It's a bit of a kind of, you know, a low point for the series. I um I I loved it. It really made me laugh. Yeah. Um, let me just ask this. Had if you had thought about this episode, would you change where your ranking is? 
Let's have a look on my list. Da -da -da. Drum roll, please. Uh... <laughs> okay, so it's, I would say... Hold, hold. Yeah, I'm going to try to figure it out, but would you change the ranking? Yeah. Um... Mm... I maybe would have put it a little bit higher. Maybe a little bit higher, but I think I've been quite fair. Hmm. Okay. See, this is going to be tough because you and I were both a little negative on this episode going into it, and now we both have kind of liked it. Now you're saying you would have rated it higher, but man. I've not been horribly unfair about it, I don't think. No. Um, I am going to go with... Have we already talked about episode 30, like whatever is 33 on your ranking? Um, yes. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with 35 then. Oh, uh, you weren't far off. I put it at 30, so I was a little bit kinder. Um, I, it's almost bang smack in the middle, which is probably fair for this episode, I would say. Yeah. I'm just going to remind you again that I still would like a copy of the redacted list with episodes we haven't covered yet. I haven't typed it up. It's just in my handwriting. I will do that. I will definitely do that for you. All right. Um, so we have our Patreons, pat patron singular, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the chat room. Keelan, do you have any questions for us about this episode? Don't feel on the spot or anything. Um, did you watch this country? Yes. How yes, did I did. About it? Did you enjoy it? It was awesome. I loved it. It was so goddamn funny. Yeah, we loved it too over here. It was just perfect. Like I was, I was a bit nervous going in because I kind of thought, well, it was the first series was so good. Are they going to really struggle to, you know, carry on in that same quality? But the quality was just brilliant. Every every thirty seconds was a new joke. Oh my god, the part where Carrie goes over to Slug's house to give him the PlayStation. <laughs> I was fucking dying watching that. That was uh, so goddamn funny. Me and Phil both said when we were watching it as well how brave it was as a writing decision to have that when he, so when she knocks for the third time and Slug doesn't come back. And there's like a good 15 seconds of just silence and nothing. And it's excruciating and it's just Kaylee's face. But it worked so well. But it was such a like... A less brave writer would have thought, no, I can't just have the audience watching nothing for 15 seconds. But that made the laugh that came after it so much funnier. Uh, yes, I love that when Carrie's like, uh, is he is he coming? And Kayla's just like, <laughs> yeah, he's on his way. And he appears with a piece of toast, doesn't he? And I was thinking, <laughs> oh my God, did they actually make that toast in real time? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed yeah. I really enjoyed it, and I'm so excited to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And the thing I'm most cross about is that Monday is my, one of my days off work, and I can't watch it until my husband comes home from work because that would be mean. So I, it's available from about 10 o'clock in the morning on iPlayer, and all day I'm just itching to watch it, but I've got to wait for like 12 hours while that wanker goes to work, and then he comes home and he doesn't want to watch it straight away, so we have to wait until he's ready to watch it when he's having his tea. And uh, so... I watched it about 12 hours after it came out and Twitter were already saying it was great. And I was like, oh, I really want to watch it, but I can't watch it and then pretend I haven't watched it. That would be, that would be, a, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be a violation of the marriage. So I've just got to wait for him. Yeah. Mm. Um, for American listeners that are interested in this country, 
I found that the easiest thing to do was I downloaded an app on my phone called Turbo VPN. And then I downloaded BBC iPlayer. I switched my region to England. I created a fake iPlayer account. And then I was able to watch it. And it took me about two minutes. What are the legalities of VPNs? Because I've done that before. Well, depending on the answer to this question, I may have done this before. But <laughs> I, was, I did this uh, for the last three years on The Affair. Because I'm fucking mad for The Affair. Or I was. The last series wasn't great. And me and my mum did this so we could watch it after it had come out in America sometimes at like two in the morning but I always I didn't know I've never known if it's like if it's a fine line between legal and illegal or if it's just downright illegal um I think it's kind of one of those moral gray areas and it really annoys me that I don't have like a legal route to watch iPlayer it does seem weird because you've got BBC America so you would have thought there would have been an American version of iPlayer even if it didn't have all the stuff on it that you could watch yeah, uh, and it just, it really bums me out that I don't have, like, a legitimate way that I can support this country in America. Because I, I fucking would. Like, I donate to the WTAF Guys podcast. I love the show. I mean, I think it's so funny. I, you know, I talk to people about it, and I just wish that I had a way to legally watch it over here without feeling like an asshole because right. I created a fake iPlayer account. Yeah, I think that especially for us, because we have the iPlayer, the use of the iPlayer is dependent upon, supposedly, not that they make you prove it, but that you've got a TV license, which we pay a lot of money for here. And I think it would be good if there was like an international TV license, which would allow, like you say, foreigners such as yourself who wanted to support the good work. Because the BBC did do a lot of good work and support a lot of good writing. And it'd be great if there was an option for you to pay like a reduced amount to use a reduced iPlayer. But it's probably, you know what it is? It's probably overseas copyright and stuff like that. It's probably just too much of a headache for whoever's in charge of the legal side of things. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that that's probably the main thing that it is. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the BBC is a, it's, you know, there's a lot of things about being British, particularly in these post-Brexit times that are just embarrassing. But the BBC is is something that we you know we should be very thankful for and that we've got this impartial thing that supports gifted writers and actors and stuff is amazing so you know even by you watching this country and by talking about it and telling other americans about it you're doing a service i think yeah um so hopefully next week laura i'll be able to talk to you about mum you better will... fucking be able to talk about mum because <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of talking to no one about mum. It's just, it's the apart from this country, it's the best thing on TV at the moment. And all I'm doing is talking to my own mum about it because she's the one watching it. I'm literally worried that you're going to jump on a plane, come over here and beat the <laughs> fuck out of me and be like, why aren't you watching this goddamn show and the then worst threaten thing me with a be, box cutter? The worst thing will be if you don't like it or don't understand it because I was saying this to my husband and he was like, but it's a bit weird and it's a bit weird and it's set where we're from and these people are like our families, but maybe they're not actually, maybe it hasn't got like a broad international appeal that we think it has. So I hope that you don't watch it and just be like, the fuck is this? It's just people not talking for half an hour. Yeah. See, uh, Nicole and I kind of discussed that when we watched, um, oh my God, what was that cancer comedy called? Oh, um, what was it called? Oh, Ill Behaviour. 
yeah, ill behavior. Nicole and I were kind of talking about that when we were watching ill behavior that some of it didn't really translate over to us very well. Yeah, especially I think for it's 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 not as hard for us the other way because we are used to America culture being such a big part of our lives from childhood. You know, like it's you know from Disney upwards, it's American culture is part of our, our culture immediately. But I'm not sure that that's the case for you guys in quite the same way. So there are going to be things in British culture that are just like, well, what? I don't get that at all. So, and yeah. I think actually, I think we've talked about this before, and maybe maybe Keelan agrees, but um, um, Australians and British people have often got far more in common, and their humour transcends better than the other way around. So, and I think I, I think I talked to you for about some summer heights high a little while ago, which was an American. Um, not an American thing, an Australian thing. And again, I think maybe that wouldn't translate to an American audience because there's this kind of culture gap slightly. Yeah, my wife watches an Australian show called Mrs. Fisher's Murder Mysteries and fucking loves it. Uh, well, I mean, do you get Neighbours over there? Neighbours has been a huge thing over here for years, so we're like down with our Australian culture as well. But hey, you get Peep Show, so there's, there's, there is a hope for you. Yeah, I think you might get Mum. Yeah. So speaking of Peep Show, um, I kind of sprung this on Laura last week, and Laura was gracious, but um, we are getting an influx of new listeners, apparently, and just for the sake of continuity, we are going to be going back and re-recording the first 10 episodes of the podcast together. It's not going to delay Series 6 at all. Basically... We're going to be releasing two podcasts a week. I can't guarantee for the next 10 weeks, but it'll take about 10 weeks total. Um, we are discussing some ideas at this point. We have a poll up on Twitter right now that basically just asks, um, would you be willing to donate a dollar a month to listen to the re-released episodes of season one, season two? And I'm sure we'll probably end up doing American Peep Show as well. Um, I'll have to watch that pile of trash <laughs> again. I think it's worth saying as well that, you know, and I'm sure that nobody thinks we are, but like, and I know the WTA guys said this um, on their podcast last week, I think, which was that, you know, there's no money in podcasts. And it's not like we're getting rich off the back of this and we're not for a second trying to exploit anybody. And, and we do this for the love of it. I don't, we wouldn't want anyone to think that we were, we were trying really to, to make it be lovely if we made some money out of it, but that's not our primary cause. And the reason that we would ever charge anyone would be to recoup our own costs rather than to, you know, get rich off the back of. So it's, it's not that we're not doing this for the love of it. We really are. And, um, and I wouldn't want anyone to, to think otherwise. We are, we were excited to have basically two people on our Patreon page because now our hosting is essentially free. And we love that. And that's awesome. And wh it, what it'll do is it'll help us get better equipment so that we sound better. Yeah, or... and make a better quality product at the end of yeah. the day. Yeah. yeah. So... You also don't have to hear us talk about Squarespace or Blue Apron or, you know, any of those other services that you hear advertised on just about every goddamn podcast imaginable. Don't, don't tell Phil this because he's always like, are those Blue Apron guys onto you? They'll, they'll, they'll advertise on anything. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should hit up blue apron <laughs> yeah maybe we should they're, they're not blue apron over here there's something else but um i we had really bad customer service from them so let's not let's not hit them up actually okay 
Um, so yeah, so kind of the idea that we have right now, and again, this is all very early, very tentative. We have a poll up on Twitter. We are going to open this poll up for a week um, because we really want to make sure that you guys, you know, that we hear what you guys are saying. But what it's looking like right now is that we will first release those episodes to our patrons that pay $1 or at the current conversion rate, 73 pence a month. Um, and then after all the episodes are done after the 10 weeks, then we'll kind of go from there and potentially just end up releasing them in bulk to everybody else. Laura? Okay. Laura, are you there? I am. What is going on today? It must be it must be the snow, I reckon. My Dude, end. I have no fucking idea. This is crazy. I'm going to blame the snow. So yeah, so basically the way that it'll work out is the people that want to pay for it, you can pay for it and you can hear it early. Or if you want to wait two and a half months, three months, whatever, you can pay to hear it three months. You, or you don't have to pay anything and you'll hear it like three months later. So right, gotcha. liter literally whatever you want to do is fine. We mm -hmm. do not care one way or the other. Sounds good. All right, Laura, do you have anything else? No, I don't. Um, hopefully we're going to have better weather this week and the internet will stop cutting out next time I speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> Go and watch mum now. Uh, <laughs> my, I've got family in town and my parents have hired a caricature artist to come over to their house. Oh, so wow, that sounds be fun. Yeah, so we're going to be going over there to hang out and get caricatures drawn of each other. Oh, lovely. Well, have a good time. Yeah. Um, next week's episode is The Test. Oh, which is another really episode that I ended up enjoying. <laughs> Me too. I was watching them all because Netflix just like plows on. So I had them on in the background when I was cooking. And I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this much more than I remember. So I'm looking forward to talking about it now. Yeah, so next week we've got The Test, and then, yeah. Maybe we'll... Series 6 would end up being my favourite series. I know. When we're all, all of a sudden done, we're like, wow, Season 6 was really fucking <laughs> right. good. But I know that that is not true, because... Uh, I know that that's not true, because there are some episodes here that I think are really... fall really flat. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it is maybe just that, in relation to other stuff, Peep Show is always going to be just funny and other stuff. So, yeah. you know... Yeah. All right. Well, cool. that's it for the L Dude Brothers. We are going to go ahead and sign off. And 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 bye. All right. That was traumatic this week. Thank fucking God. Holy Christ. Dude, we haven't had that many problems since goddamn magicians. I am in loco parentis. I am the last remaining contestant of The Apprentice. I am the home trained dentist. Ay, 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 ay,